Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hello everyone, welcome to this podcast from the ITAM Review. Our subject today is the Changing Vendor Audit Playbook, uh, looking specifically at Oracle, but also uh, more generally as well. Uh, we're joined today uh, by Art Beeman, Mike Corey, Dean Bolton, and Joel Muchmore. Art and Joel are from Beeman Muchmore, and uh, Michael and Dean are from Licensed Fortress. Uh, you may have heard from this crew uh, on a podcast we did um, at the back end of last year as well. So we got them back around because actually we had a really good conversation and uh, we managed not to get sued as well, which is always a bonus, always a bonus in these in these situations. So, um, and also, um, congratulations to Beeman much more. Uh, I, you're one year old this week, I believe. Yes, we are. Thank you. Fantastic. Great to see um, uh, a change. And I, I read that really interesting um, email from you around this kind of a micro approach to to legal services coming off and packaging off very tightly packaged um, services around a specific area. So. Uh, more to see and something we, we at the item review are going to be looking more at over the coming year as, as well is the, is the legal side of uh, software licensing and, and, and audits and so on so coming along um, so we've seen that oracle audit tactics have changed in, in the past year or so and I'm wondering what our first question here is why is this and um, how should you prepare for an audit with oracle and what might it mean for um, audit behavior from other vendors and I, I suppose the, the best place to start here is what was what was Oracle's audit playbook used to be like um, I'm sure many of our audience have, have been through it but um, uh, how did they used to play this game um, Joel? Well it, it followed a, a fairly predictable script and playbook so Oracle would come in they would announce the audit there would be a very routinized audit kickoff you would then move into a manually completed Oracle server worksheet. Multiple scripts would be run. There might be some uh, 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 negotiating back and forth as to what scripts were run or not. They would land with an audit uh, report that would invariably have precipitous uh, uh, licensing shortfalls. There were a handful of different ways those shortfalls might come about. It might be in disaster recovery. It might be in the use of VMware, BIOS core disabling, but there was a, a relatively predictable bundle of different uh, things that Oracle would argue, this would shock the licensee into, holy wow, didn't realize we were looking at the, uh, uh, six, seven, eight figures worth of under licensing right now. And then they would begin negotiating against it. And that would always land with really one of three different things. You would have just good old, old cash. You would pay, increase your revenue stream and pay for back fees. It could take the form of the cloud credits where they would come in and give you a great discounts for these steep under licensing allegations with purchase some cloud credits. We don't want cloud credits. Take them anyway. And that would become part of that discussion. And then they would put in place, uh, in some instances, more restrictive agreements. You would come in. Uh, there might be old legacy agreements that uh, uh, were very vague on certain issues. And they would either could come up and replace those agreements with more modern ones that were more favorable to Oracle. 
or even just put in extra contractual agreements, perhaps moving in some of their uh, partitioning policy or other policy statements or representations regarding how the VMware environment would be structured, but just anything to kind of put a tighter straitjacket around the licensee. And look, any, any particular audit might have only a few pieces of this, but all those together formed a relatively stable uh, and concretized playbook that we saw multiple times. So I just want to interact there. I think they take a playbook from the old sales act, uh, acronym, ABC, always be closing. And in the case of Oracle, it's audit, bargain, close. Audit you, get a, throw a really big number at you, offer you a bargain, and then close. So hmm. we think we found $80 million, and we've heard numbers much larger than that quite a few times. For $10 million, make this problem go away. And then as Joel said, they'll offer you this deal and just like the car salesman, hurry up and sign while you can get it. Yeah. And just to underscore here, because it really establishes the atmospherics of any of these discussions and the negotiations to borrow from the vernacular, maybe the military vernacular, it was a shock and awe approach. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, when they come in and you're on your heels as a customer from the start, that suffuses the entire process going forward because in a manner of speaking the customer is recovering from that shock and awe throughout the process yeah great okay and and so what's changed now what what, what are you seeing uh that's changed in, in the last year or so <laughs> no no please go joel uh less predictable um, just as a, as a matter of course, um, you used to be able to, ah, you never know where the football is going to bounce, but you used to be able to kind of say there are certain issues that not really going to be an issue. 30 day license, uh, uh, 30 days to correct it is in the contract. We used to counsel clients. The 30 days isn't really an issue. You are unlikely to hear about that. Now clients are hearing about that 30 day timeline almost instantly. And we've actually had some audits that got hairy because it looked like they were gonna go right up to the wire and Oracle is at least threatening to start issuing termination notices. Termination notices are coming out a lot more frequently than we used to see them. They used to be a rarity. Uh, Mars versus Oracle, we didn't see one for three years after that. But these days, we're seeing them much, much more frequently. And um, the uh, 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 things we might be able to negotiate in the close, whether it's certain kinds of releases, they used to be more generous with the releases. Oracle has just tightened up its legal. And anything that you pry out of them these days can really be a fight. Right, I see. So, so there seems to be a bit of an escalation, a, a bit of an arms race going on. Maybe we've all got quite good at defending Oracle audits and, and there there seems to be less, as you say, less leeway for um, maneuvers and, and negotiations. So perhaps they're, that's what they're doing. What, what, what do you think is behind this? I mean, um, there's been a few things that have gone against them recently, hasn't there? I'm thinking of... Um, um, Supreme Court um, Oracle versus, uh, versus Google being being probably the, the, the big thing around the APIs, um, and also the ongoing uh, litigation around Jedi as well, um, the defense contract. Um, anything else there to add as well, or, or, or to add a bit of color around those two points? 
we, we definitely thought they were on their best behavior while Oracle B Google was going on because yeah. for to expand their copyright in a licensable issue like Java, I mean, the havoc that Oracle could wreak with that if they had won would have been just a cataclysmic. Mm-hmm. So we always assumed they were on good behavior and ready to lift that good behavior if they lost. But then there are the other two matters that you would also think they'd be on good behavior for, Sunrise Firefighters uh, and the Jedi one. So that's a little unpredictable there as to what exactly they're responding to. One of my best guesses is that first they had shock and awe. Now the market's somewhat saturated with our writings, License Fortress, the work that ITAM is doing. And perhaps they're just like, got to shake it up again. People were becoming complacent with what our playbook was. So we changed the script. So nobody waltzes in thinking they know what we're going to do and to reintroduce the fear and uncertainty. Yeah, I see. I see. I, I mean, one of the things that did come out in the last two years or so, I think, was that there's there's a new audit clause, isn't there, in, in, in new contracts for, for Oracle. They've tightened things up around that, around having to use their scripts and, and various other things. Could, could you talk about that a little bit as to what, what's involved there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there are basically, there are three elements in the new audit clause that I think are notable. One of them, as you exactly say, it specifically says that they can run scripts. I think the exact language is data measurement tools. And uh, I always thought that was a response to a couple of matters they had lost over in Europe, where they were uh, tried to get a, a licensee to run scripts. They refused to, took it up to court. The court said, absolutely not. It's not in the contract. Lo and behold, two years later, we find it in the contract now. Right. Uh, really tightened up the non-disclosure. Uh, it used to be whatever Oracle states is uh, confidential is confidential and cost information, but they put right in the contract now that anything around the audit, whether we brand it as such or not, is going to be subject to the confidentiality provisions. We've always thought that uh, that is a crucial part of Oracle's playbook is to silo everybody as much as possible. So are they prepping to start attacking people for confidentiality? Uh, I, I don't know yet, but there's certainly a ratcheting up the concern to have people discussing their audit experiences with each other. Hmm. Yeah, I see. I mean, that's that's really feels really quite anti-competitive in a way, and you know that 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 would that would affect us because we want to encourage people to share their audit experiences within the community, right? I mean, it's it's important. It's, it's just fundamentally a fair thing to do is to, is to know how to legally take on these large organisations um, who are perhaps being sharp with what they're doing and obviously are far more powerful in any uh any litigation any 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 relationship in fact they are far more powerful than almost any organization i would say um i'm, I'm sure it'll be the case that there are very few large corporations out there who've got the in-house legal experience to be able to, to, be able to take on oracle on their own terms in their own contracts yeah but uh, i mean aj one of the things that we like to point out is that we never want it to get to this point, right? We think it's fundamentally unfair the way this happens. Oracle has products that uh, a lot of them are fantastic. We think they've spent a lot of time and effort and money in developing them. They should be able to charge whatever they want in there, but the customer should be able to make a determination about whether that price fits for them. It shouldn't be this unknown. Like we went in, we thought it was going to be 10,000 euros. It ends up being 100,000 euros. That's the part that's unfair around it. And so a lot of the time is helping customers understand, you know, how to keep these within what they purchased, how to make the best 
use of what they purchased and how to avoid these issues. And if you do that proactively, then you then a lot of this stuff down the road about running the scripts and the contractual language in there, the 30 days to cure audits kind of goes away because you're now um, using the products in a compliant and optimized manner, which I think is really what customers want. And, yeah, and I, by the way, when you take that burden of an audit off the table, they become very happy customers. Because as Dean said, and I agree, I've been working with Oracle for 36 years. It's great technology. It's rock solid. It does the job. But you can't, when you hire a contractor and they tell you the cost of to build the addition is 30000 and it's $80,000 or $160,000, uh, a year later, you have a problem. And so really, once you take that burden away, uh, they're very happy customers and don't want to go anywhere. Yeah, I, I, would, I would echo that experience as well. Um, we had Oracle um, and MS SQL Server uh, where I was working. We had DBAs in both those teams. They generally preferred Oracle, but they ripped Oracle out because of an audit, um, oh. you know, which is... It's a very strange tactic. It's almost like Oracle don't need to be evil <laughs> over this <laughs> way. It's that sort of, well, you're, you're the best in town, so why do you have to be so aggressive with, with your audit practices? Isn't it, surely there's a better way. And I mean, we, we see this from other vendors. We see you know, IBM coming along with the IASP program. They should really have another acronym for that because it's really difficult to say. Um, but um, IBM have recognized that audits are a problem for their customers and they're bringing forward this program whereby you can engage with um, one of four um, partners over it and manage those licenses and actually make the audit thing go away. Um, there are pros and cons of that, of that approach as well, but Oracle just seemed to prefer the, the confrontational litigation approach. But think about this. Oracle's gotten so big, they can't really grow through acquisition anymore right? Mm -hmm. There's only so many companies you can buy, only so many companies you can assimilate. Yeah. They're struggling for from organic growth. Mm -hmm. And so then you look at the audit barrier. It's really easy because most customers don't realize in a copyright infringement, the burden of proof is on them. So yeah. an Oracle audits you, customers are always shocked to find out that they have to prove that they have the license and they have to prove they were using the license in accordance with its terms. It becomes an easy way to generate revenue. And let's face it, they're a transaction engine. They're about revenue. And oh my God, every time I audit, I land. And then they put these policies out there and they look at people like they're actually contractual obligations and customers voluntarily just overpay for the software. Yeah. And by the way, Oracle's not the only one doing this. It's just to be clear, this is the bad boys of technology and bad girls of technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's a good point about the organic growth. I mean, yes, they aren't growing. I, I guess one area where maybe things are changing, could we touch a little bit about, uh, on um, Oracle Java and um, advances in that area and things you're seeing maybe in the market from audits starting around that and, 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 and litigation and so on? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point in there. Um, you know, Oracle announced four years ago that they were going to change the contract around Java when they acquired it from Sun. Um, two years ago in, in April of 2019, that, that change took effect. And <clears throat> what we've seen is um, Oracle being, uh, as Art and Joel mentioned, fairly um, uh, on good behavior uh, around that during that time frame. 
Um, they had Java sales teams that would contact customers, uh, inform them of the, the change, try to work with them to, to work on some uh, subscription deals. Um, and it was pretty, pretty cordial, informal, um, but all of that has changed. Um, and really, it, it does seem like it was tied to the, the Oracle uh, v. Java ruling on April 5th, because the week before, it was one tactic, and the week after, literally, it was a very different experience for, for some customers that we've been working with. Um, right. and, and they've been uh, much more insistent, much more aggressive around there. Um, uh, to date, we still have not seen anyone be formally audited for it. It's all from sales um, and threats around that. Um, but they, they are um, becoming much more uh, focused on that for growth and, and going forward in a, a very aggressive manner. I, I, think, I think an important uh, distinction that should be made uh, uh, is the one between the product and the intellectual property. Uh, the product, no question, as, as Mike and Dean and Joel underscored, is, 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 is a very, very good product. And one would think, well, just ride the wave of a, of a successful product, the product that the market wants, and you'll be where you need to be. But there's another component to it. It's the intellectual property. The aggression can be attached to a business decision as to how we're going to protect our intellectual property. Because that's really what these licensing agreements are about. They have the copyright. Uh, they want to protect the copyright. And I think that in a larger manner, it's historically been the case with Oracle. You, you saw it in their case against their litigation against SAP some years back, um, the case they took all the way up to the Supreme Court with Google uh, and the, the intellectual property interest they asserted there. The bigger picture here is Oracle's very aggressive, very assertive, and uh, at times audacious and even um, uh, brinksmanship surrounding their intellectual property. That's what they're trying to protect here. Uh, and in their view, if you send the message out in the market that we take our IP very seriously, and they're not alone in that. You've, you, there are companies that, that establish that sort of, of business philosophy. You know, on the other side of the coin, uh, and Joel and I know this as IP litigators, there are some companies out there um, uh, not necessarily even in the software space. And their view is, hey, look, you assert intellectual property against us. You're going to have to take it all the way up to the Supreme Court to get us to ever pay. And that's their, that's their business philosophy in terms of, of intellectual property cases, assertions against them. Uh, someone decided in the corporate suite, that's the best way for us to go about doing our business and surviving in the market. Oracle's view is, I think it's quite transparent and I think it's gonna accelerate uh, for many of the reasons that Joel, Dean and Mike pointed out is that, okay, now the Supreme Court in the Google case uh, didn't buy our argument, but that means uh, the horses can come out of the barn and we're gonna do our thing now. And we're gonna make sure that uh, the market appreciates that if it's our IP, it's our copyright and for that matter, patents, and I'm sure in other spaces, we will protect them. Yep. Yeah, so it's very much sending a message, um, and I guess, I guess the next question is, what, well, how should we respond as IT asset managers and, and people responsible for managing this risk from Oracle software? What do we need to do? That maybe that we need to do differently to what we've been doing before. Uh, I think the the biggest thing is that you have to be proactive. You, you cannot be like an ostrich and just put your head in the sand and hope that you're not going to get caught up in in it. 
Um, the dollar figures around it, especially from Oracle, um, even with Oracle Java are just too great um, that, that if you take that approach um, at the same time, you're probably going to be uh, updating your, your resume or your CV. Um, and so, so I think it's one of those things you just can't, you know, uh, uh, assume it's not going to hit you um, and that you can just hope the problem goes away. Um, so you need to be proactive uh, on that. And I would say um, these, these are complicated tasks, as, as we've mentioned, you know, the, the landscape is changing all the time. Um, so I would say it's almost unfair to try and um, put this on your internal IT team when they're trying to manage the day-to-day the -day operations for the business, right? They've yep. got to worry about high availability, business continuity, um, performance, all of that stuff. And then you add in um, these legal contracts and all the intricacies there, um, the software license uh, rules that change on a regular basis, uh, negotiations in there. And that's just, that, that, that's a huge burden to ask for any, uh, any group aside from maybe the largest companies out there. Um, so I would say you got to be proactive around it and, and reach out to groups that are experienced in that. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're biased. We have some recommendations on for what groups to reach out for, but, but there are a lot of good firms out there. And, and I would say that for all, all customers, it's those two things, be proactive uh, and get some help. Because this is very much something that is going to happen. It, and it's nothing personal. I mean, as I understand it, this isn't really Oracle using some intelligence and thinking, oh, we're going to go after those guys. Um, it's just, you're on the merry-go-round, right? It's, it's you, you're next in line to be audited. And uh, maybe it's uh, no, associated with a ULA or, or with a contract renewal or something, but it's nothing personal as such. It's just what they do, right? That's, yeah, that's absolutely they're, correct. Yeah. There are definitely metrics that might goose you or flag you. And like you say, uh, certifying yeah. off of a EULA or ending technical support streams, anything like that. But that's just kind of a up your odds a little bit. As you say, you're on the carousel and it's going to stop on you at some point. There's uh, no doubt about it. And uh, I, I want to second what Dean was saying about the proactive. That's absolutely right. And sometimes that work needs to be done at the time that you want to do it the least. You're closing up your audit. Everybody is fatigued. You're on your seventh round of negotiating the terms, uh, very specific terms on the contract. It's, it's not the time to, 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 to fold up your tent and, and accept it. You've got to keep on pressing it all the way through to the conclusion. And then even after that, organize your contracts, put them in a central repository, be sure that you have somebody eyeballing that you are maintaining doing your contract, uh, both at the technical level, as well as with any other reporting level. Um, it is going to take both the proactive and an ongoing maintenance at all, both technical and legal levels, so that when the merry-go-round stops at you, you like and here's what I've got. And you can present it to them in a neat, clean and organized fashion. And going right back to what uh, Mike and Dean said at the very beginning, at that point, Oracle has happy customers. Yeah. Well, and even more importantly, if your contract's got a URL link to someplace, print it off. Yeah. Uh, the processor table one year changed, I think it was three or four times. Well, mm -hmm. if you didn't print off the right process, the processor table with your contract and you get audited and you go all of a sudden print it off, you're now the deck stacked up against you. And the other thing is that there is a legal aspect to this. This is not a job, in my opinion, for in-house counsel. 
-hmm. There's just so many twists and turns from these software vendors who do this day in and day out that you have to have that trusted advisor through the process. And the other thing that really I found disconcerting, we were having a conversation one day, is this whole concept of downloaded contracts. Whenever you install software, it presents you a contract. And people just say, accept. And I asked the question of Joel and I, and I said, well, what happens if one day Oracle put in there, you must use their script during an audit? And the DBA just clicked it. Would that be upholdable? And and the answer I got back, the short answer was, yes, if you don't question it right away or push back on it right away. Well, Oracle's a reputable vendor. We don't like their tactics, but like Microsoft, they're a reputable vendor. They're not trying to pull that game, but not all these software vendors are reputable. There are vendors out there that are purposely putting things in these downloaded contracts to set customers up for problems in the future. Yeah, it's it's, it's a very good point. You know, the, the, the contract uh, in force is, is the contract that was enforced when you made the purchase, right? Um, so... <laughs> And Oracle and others aren't like aren't, aren't like Microsoft. Where they, have, I mean, you no, know, Microsoft have an archive product terms for every single month. So if you bought it in month three, you know what terms applied to your licenses at that point. And they change very frequently. They've got a lot of products, of course. Um, so it's a very good point of, of, of getting those contracts centralized, knowing what you basically knowing what you signed up for, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think this is probably probably the crux of the matter is it's very easy for procurement to go off and do a procurement-led approach to buying Oracle um, and maybe not pay enough attention to the, or really to comprehend what's there in that contract. And uh, you also touched on in-house um, counsel, not necessarily being software IP experts. I mean, that's obviously something that I'm sure Art and Joel would agree with, but um, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a general point. Um, they're probably more interested in defending their organizations against probably bigger macro threats, right? I imagine, um, no customer litigation and, and so on, rather than things in a business to business world. The learning curve is just so steep. I mean, there, it's, it's both something you can't learn by just being out and, and reading a few articles here and there. And then the, the, spe- the specifics of it, the context of it is just so unique to every vendor. Uh, it's not that an in-house counsel couldn't pick it up after a few years, but that they got other stuff to do. And then that goes back to both what we're doing and what I think other law firms are doing too. We're saying, we've got a small piece of your puzzle. In this case, it's Oracle licensing and other software licensing. We unbundle it from everything else and then plug us in uh, so we can provide that one small bit that you don't have the time or really the inclination or the need to learn. And uh, we, that's, that, that is an, an interesting trend here that uh, we're paying a lot of attention to and that we're really happy to be part of. We offer a small thing plug us in, let us go. And uh, it's, it's an interesting new model that we're very excited about. The, the, what I was uh, uh, underscoring was the importance of context. Uh, mm-hmm. In other words, when you look at a contract, what do the terms mean? It's the context in the technology space, the industry space, and terms mean what they mean uh, from the standpoint of the history of the document and what other parties uh, uh, signed up for, and perhaps even related adjudication. And that's why in this instance, the experience and expertise is so important because that's what Dean, Mike, Joel, and I bring to the table. We know that context yeah. and it gets right to the issues. I, I think it's a very good point. I, 
this is really a question for the audience when they're when they're listening uh, to this podcast. I know that I was trusted as an IT asset manager to read a contract and to think, oh yeah, that looks all right, um, and to and to sign that contract effectively to sign that contract or at least to tell my boss to say it's okay to sign. Um, over a certain value, they went through legal, but not always. And legal would quite often just probably just do a very high level standard contract kind of. I guess there's a checklist, right, of of what they go through to to, to have a look at and and court of law and 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 so on. I, I wonder also for IT asset managers out there who are listening to this, how many of you are actually trusted to go? This is okay. No, almost being seen as part of your job. We're not lawyers, right? No, we are. We may be procurement people or maybe technical people, but we're almost certainly not lawyers um, as IT asset managers. And uh, it's a good case in point. We would go out and talk to um, managed service providers for some technical aspects of what we do. Um, and surely that it makes sense as well to go out and, and get this legal counsel approach to particularly these very big contracts. These are, these are big multi-million pound euro dollar liabilities right that we're potential or, or risks that we're managing here um i certainly remember having sleepless nights around certifying our ula for example um and being trusted to make big decisions about things um that i thought was way above my pay grade uh, I, I i guess that may be a thing elsewhere as well so this is where this is coming from the idea that you can yes you can go and get this as a service um to, to help you with these big decisions. I, I guess I'd add to this that when we got into, when we uh, designed License Fortress, what we saw was a flaw in how people were handling software license compliance. It's not that the average SAM tool isn't good. It's the fact that a lot of times you go into large organizations and they ha they're struggling with how to use the SAM tool. And mm -hmm. so since they're not using the tool correctly, it's not gathering the right information. And the problem with the SAM tool, the just the having a SAM tool was, yeah, I had an inventory of what I had, but it doesn't mean I know how to interpret that against the contract. Mm -hmm. Then we looked at the licensed consultants and they understood contracts, but did they understand the context of dealing with Oracle? Did they understand the context of how it equates to technology? Like, what does it mean when a hyperthread Oracle changes the rules on hyperthreading? Um, do they understand that a hyperthread is about 20% improvement over a regular processor? Yeah. So you had to have that combination of technology, contract expertise, and then legal expertise, right? You have to have legal expertise as a backbone and it's the three of them working in tandem. But then the other problem was they looked at it as a point in time before we came along. The rule of thumb was you came in and you did your annual audit. They patted you on the back. You fixed the problems and everything was okay. Hmm. Well, but here's the problem. Your DBA goes to download a piece of software and they get a legal contract and they see something that bothers them. Do they have access to somebody that can answer that question? So we decided to make it a service. You're getting ready to deploy a new technology and you want to understand it in the context of the legal hmm. and the technology piece. And so what we realized was you have to have that proactive relationship 365 days a year where you're not worried about the meter running. So you'll come to them with questions, no matter how small, because little things can become big problems if you don't deal with them correctly. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, I can remember going back and forth, not, not so much on Oracle, but on SQL Server around just that very point around hyper-threading. Uh, what's a virtual core? What, what's a virtual processor? Things like that. And it's the kind of question that uh, you need a definitive answer on because you know in, in SQL Server world, that's double the price, right? That's, that, that's a, it's a big change um, and it's difficult to interpret. Um, and if you're not doing it every single day, um, then you don't have the expertise around it. I, I, I think that's the thing. It's probably, um, I mean, just, we often say, um, look at your contract, go and talk to the vendor, get it to get it varied to meet your terms. Is that really realistic, really realistic with Oracle? Can you, if you're, if you're signing up for a new ULA, can you really get them to vary their terms in your favor? these days yes and no some parts of it are etched in stone might as well be the rock of gibraltar uh but other sections more on the periphery the ones in the margins you can uh, uh work with them on and whether it's the integration of other uh, uh materials you can carve out you can carve uh, as you're exiting eulas uh, certain kinds of releases certain kinds of no audit provisions going forward there are absolutely things on the margins that you can do but there are things that you cannot it's really both a case-by-case -case matter on what the topic is what the software is what kind of contract it is and mm -hmm. also who you're dealing with and you know we, as we all know oracle just closed their uh, their uh, fiscal year lots of deals get made in the 72 hours counting down <laughs> and yeah. miracles are performed at that time that aren't going to be performed again for uh until the end of the first quarter of this next year yeah yeah you you encounter the rock of gibraltar uh that joel described when you get into any contract terms and issues related to allocation of risks real yeah. risk something goes wrong um, where do the consequential and incidental damages to the customer land things that um, if they gave on that it could change the very face of the market for them in their interactions and deals with other customers. Yes. So uh, one way of viewing is that the, 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 the greater the risk, um, the, the, the greater the goal on the part of the customer to reallocate those risks, the tougher the terrain will be. And, and then I've heard Dean say this numerous times, so I just want to be, uh, make sure that, and you made this point lots of times, Dean, which is don't go to the vendor for answers on how to use their software. Because Oracle is going to quote Oracle policy, and all Oracle policy many times is going to do is artificially inflate the cost. So the vendor is not the right place to go to get an honest answer on how to use the software legally. Well, and, and nor do you, oh, go on, Dean, please. I was going to say, that's absolutely correct, Mike. It's unfortunate, but yeah, they, they can tell you about the features uh, in that, in, in this case, but uh, how to do the licensing, um, that's not the right, right source of truth for any customer. And, and it's a sad fact that you don't want to disclose too much to Oracle. Uh, and, and we often counsel people to say, beware of that overly friendly sales associate because they're, uh, they're recording information, they're writing things down, and it gets sent back to uh, license management services. Not all the time. There's not a one-to-one -to, -one to it, but uh, information does have a way of traveling about and coming back to bite you when you think you're just answering innocent questions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's the case with, with other vendors as well. And it is difficult to get that definitive view on license rights and, and, and license allocations and so on. Um, you can talk direct to the vendor while you're going to get one answer there. You may talk to a reseller 
who maybe give you a slightly more customer focused answer depending on where they are in their sales cycle and so on. Um, but for the definitive answers, you need, you need experts. You need um, uh, the guys on this call. You need uh, expert training that we offer as well and, and so on. So it's, it's really about building the expert knowledge. And actually, even then, there's this, I would imagine there's, so, there's still so much gray in these contracts that there's always room for interpretation and, 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 and movement as such. No doubt. Hmm. No doubt. Another way of viewing it is that uh, we, we try to uh, emphasize with uh, uh, our clients the importance uh, of just good uh, uh, contract hygiene. Collect the documents. Know what constitutes the contract. I can't tell you how frustrating it is when you're, you're working with a client initially and you ask them for, for something that you would think would be pretty straightforward. Hey, send me the stuff that relates to the contract or constitutes the contract. Well, we're having problems finding those documents. That's going to be an even bigger problem than when you're in negotiations with a vendor. And, and these are things, of course, that go back 20, 30 years. Oracle is a mature product. Um, so you may have signed your initial Oracle agreement last century, right? I mean, so, and that's going to be on a piece of paper somewhere in a filing cabinet somewhere in an office where you probably aren't, aren't aren't there right now even so it, it, it is it's a general problem for it asset managers uh it's probably the dirty secret almost in the sense that we do really good stuff around discovery with tools and running scripts and understanding what our environment looks like and that's one that's only one side of the equation we are not great at gathering entitlements and understanding what those entitlements are um it's an area where we could certainly see improvements because You've only got one half of the equation otherwise. You, you mm -hmm. don't have the detail to know whether you're compliant, non-compliant, and what the size of the risk is. So um, something for another for, something for another uh, for another topic, maybe. But um so to summarize today, um, first up, thank you everyone for um uh, for listening and thank you for to all of our expert speakers. Um Oracle have changed how they're doing audits, they're becoming a bit more aggressive, they're becoming quite more focused on on terms uh, a little less leeway on these things and the key is to be as always is to be prepared uh, to expect them to come knocking and to expect them to perhaps to be trying to accelerate that process uh, using the new audit clause and being uh, as well quite focused on time scales so there's lots to be prepared to get prepared for here I think do expect a change in Oracle's behavior towards your contract so probably now is a very good time to start looking uh, at those contracts. Uh, thank you uh, to Dean and Mike from uh, License Fortress. Thank you to Art and Joel from Beam and Much More. Um, License Fortress and Beam and Much More work, work together on Oracle licensing. Uh, feel free to go and have a look at uh, their websites and, and, and see what they get up to. Um, and as always, the ITAM Review is here to help you uh, with uh, all things Oracle and indeed any other licensing as well. So. Thank you for listening and thank you everyone for participating. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. much.